Stop touching your sister. Wait, wait, wait. Did you change your underwear this morning? Just one more bite. For the 11 billionth time, can you please put your Please keep your hands to yourself. Because I'm the mom. And because you're the mom, we bring you Just One More Bite, a podcast about parenting and an extension of our writing from Alamo City Moms. In today's episode, Natalie has encouraging words for those of us giving up on our New Year's resolution. Jenny tells us how quarantinis just aren't for her. Lizzie tells us about her struggle with postpartum anxiety and what she learned in Mental Health is the New Black. And from Maria, a story about getting to know your kids through a simple game. To you, when you're thinking about giving up your New Year's resolutions, originally published by Natalie Tate in January of 2019. Hey there, friend. Are you still eating oatmeal for breakfast every day and dutifully carrying around your yoga mat for those classes and responsibly holding back that bit of juicy gossip you picked up at the mom's group last week? If you are, you're probably almost totally alone. 80% of people give up their New Year's resolutions before February even rolls around. The other 20% are either lying or resolve to drink more Dr. Pepper or allow their kids unlimited screen time. For some reason, that January 1st date is such an arbitrarily excellent time to turn over a new leaf, to finally start that diet, get in bed by 10 p.m., read those smart people books that have been gathering dust on your nightstand. It seems like a day when anything can happen, when there's the force of an entire new year ahead of you. But then, when your resolve and willpower are tested by that coworker who brings in donuts or by a Netflix binge that takes the place of your Saturday hike, it can also be so easy to give up. If like so many of us, you've reached that giving up point, what do you do? Is it just time to say, okay, so much for this year, I'll lose weight next year? No way. You can do it, friend. One little slip up doesn't mean it's time to throw in the towel. Not for the whole year. Here's what you can do to get yourself back on track. Just re-resolve it. If you slip up, so what? As the great philosopher Scarlett O'Hara said, after all, tomorrow is another day. Just start the clock over. No one's perfect, and it can be easy to get down on yourself. Giving up altogether can just mean spiraling into a behavior you didn't want to maintain in the first place. Just move on, start over, and try again. Measure it. Lose weight. Work out more. Travel. These resolutions are great, but they can be stressful and easy to quit because they're so vague. Take into consideration what you actually can and can't do, and then set a reasonable goal. For me, going to a Zumba class every day is probably not a realistic goal with my kids. I can't always go to strictly scheduled events. However, going four times a week to the gym is much more manageable because I can do it on my own time. Decide if it's worth it. Not all resolutions are worth keeping. Once, a friend persuaded me to cancel one of my resolutions because it wasn't reasonable. I'd resolved to stop reading. I know, I'm a nerd. (laughs) I felt that I was spending too much time reading when I could just be working on my writing or household projects. My friend urged me to not completely eliminate something that was enjoyable and enriching to my life, but just to temper it. I did, incorporating my favorite pastime back into my routine, and I realized how wise she was. Tell a friend. I get by with a little help from my friends is one of my favorite Beatles lines because I feel its truth every day. Get a friend to hold you accountable and remind you of some of your resolutions. If you want to drink more water, find a water buddy at your office and make a date to refill your bottles together. If you want to take your kids outside to play more, find a friend who is also probably dying for a play date. One caveat, 
Don't enlist a friend to help you keep emotionally sensitive resolutions. It's not fair to expect them to call you out for eating too much cream and jalapeno dip or saying yes to that second latte. Tell your kid. If you're really serious about being nagged to death on a resolution, tell your kids. They'll definitely be happy to remind you every single time you slip up especially if it's loudly and mildly embarrassing and in a public place. If that thought doesn't terrify you, maybe there's no hope for your resolutions at all. If some of your resolutions have slipped up past you, don't worry, all is not lost. Resolve now to give yourself a little grace and move forward. You can do it. Mental health is the new black, learning to make myself a priority. Are you doing okay? I remember this conversation like it was yesterday. I was at my oldest daughter's three-month well check, and I was very much not okay. My daughter's pediatrician asked how things were going, almost with a slight laugh. Trying to break it to me gently, I was not okay. You know, it's fine, I told her, casually lying to myself. Sure, I had a permanent lump in my throat like I was going to collapse at any moment, but I'm fine. Nervous that people were noticing me, I got back in my car and texted my friend Leslie, who had been my sounding board throughout my pregnancy and postpartum period. Okay, so what did you tell her? Leslie, who I was the absolute worst friend to when she became a mom, was the absolute best friend I had through my journey. I'm forever grateful for her, her candor, her vulnerability, and her guidance. I also wish I knew what she needed when she was going through it. Ugh. I told her I wasn't feeling like myself and I needed a little help. She was speaking of the ob we both shared, who is without a doubt the coolest, most non-judgmental, warm, and open doctor I have ever had. Okay, I can do this. I sat down to send a message through the patient portal. Holy Batman, this is a lot. That is a lot, she later responded. Validation. And just like that, for the first time in my life, I started an anti-anxiety medication. Growing up, my mom put me in counseling at various times in my life for different reasons. But I looked at it like, is there something wrong with me? No, there wasn't. I understood the idea of mental health, but I didn't have an understanding of why it was important. I was ashamed to need the help. I fought the help. Let's just talk it out, others would tell me. Right. Okay. I tried counseling for the first time on my own in law school, but I still felt like there was something wrong with me that I couldn't figure out my own life on my own. You know, why was I not flawlessly handling law school? Why wasn't I the picture of mental health with a great family studying 12 hours per day while my livelihood depended on passing one exam at the end of three years? Never mind dealing with the evolving relationships and friendships one deals with in their early 20s. Can't handle a little pressure? Come on, Lizzie. Fast forward to August 2016. I was three months postpartum with my first daughter. I had a difficult pregnancy and difficult birth, which might be redundant. I'm not sure when birth is cake. I was having a really difficult time fitting into my new role as a mom. Not only that, I was dealing with a health scare from a family member, juggling a legal career where childbirth isn't a great reason to need an extension, managing a law firm, dealing with family and in-laws who wanted to dote over the new baby when all I wanted to do was hide and, of course, further suppress my propensity for anxiety like I'd done my entire life. I was definitely not okay, but for the first time, 
I decided to ask for help. I stayed on the anti-anxiety medication for about two years before weaning off. I was still dealing with a lot of anxiety from my job and would have the occasional meltdown, but that's totally normal, right? Saying this out loud to myself, I'm realizing just how long I ignored myself. Fast forward a few years and my second daughter was born in December of 2019. My husband was already on alert because of how much I struggled with our older daughter, and I was ready to monitor my mental health like I monitored my days-old breathing in the bassinet. I'm not the only one who does that, right? Shortly thereafter, boom, pandemic, and all of 2020, whatever that was. Everything shut down the week before I was set to go back to work. Panic set in. I love my kids, but I hated being home. After a few meltdowns, I realized, here we go again, I'm not okay. I don't think you're okay. Should you talk to someone? Yep, right on cue. Also, shout out to my husband for having my back. He's usually the first one to notice when I start crumbling. I was referred to Sigma Mental Health Urgent Care, where for the first time in my life, I went through a thorough screening. You guys, this place is awesome. And if you find yourself in a position like I was in, you could usually get an appointment the same day. Shortly thereafter, I met with my new provider to just discuss what was going on. Back on anti-anxiety medication, but also a referral to talk therapy. Huh? I made a decision. If I'm going to do this, I am going to do this. Still feeling a little broken, slightly embarrassed, I decided that if nothing else, it would show my girls the importance of investing in yourself. I wouldn't want them to ignore their mental health, so why am I ignoring mine? I've also already noticed my same anxiety in my four-year-old, and I definitely want her to have good coping skills. So it was time to get over whatever I thought and give it a go. So reluctantly, and by reluctantly, I mean very reluctantly, I made an appointment with a talk therapist. I was supposed to see her weekly while also maintaining my appointments with Sigma. That was almost four months ago. And holy cow, you guys, it's the best thing I've ever done. To make a long story short, I've been diagnosed with ADHD. What? Which was causing my anxiety to go through the roof. Double what? I am weaning off my anxiety medication and adding medication to help with my ADHD. Have I said what yet? I've also started going on walks, cut out dairy, which I'm not sure is totally related, but it's helped, and joined a gym. For the first time in my life, I know that when my stomach hurts at the end of the day, I'm not actually hungry. I'm anxious, and I should just go for a walk. I know that when I sit down to work on something and decide to avoid it like a plague and redecorate my entire house, which thankfully is happening less, that's my inattentiveness, which causes me a substantial amount of anxiety. I know that when I work out, I sleep better. I'm learning how to truly manage my anxiety when it arises. Yes, learning. I'm also learning that this is going to be a long journey for me, but it's a journey I need to be on. I'm learning how to cope with things in my life that are hard and how to deal with those things instead of waiting until I collapse in tears on the kitchen floor. I'm learning how to communicate when I need. I am learning that mental health takes practice and work. I'm learning that no matter what you try to do, you can't ignore it and you shouldn't ignore it. I'm learning more about who I am, which is making me a better wife, mom, and lawyer. I notice changes in myself and how I approach things every single day. So if you find yourself where I was, from this reluctant mama, or not mama, anyone, to you, it's okay to make the investment in yourself. Swallow the pride. I know it's hard. 
You're not broken. You're not failing. And you are not a mess. You just need a little help. And that's okay. I'm rooting for you. No quarantini for me. Life as a sober mom during the COVID-19 crisis. I see you there on day, whatever this is, of quarantine, sheltering in place, staying home, social distancing, limiting interactions. You haven't washed your hair in days or weeks. Your kids are making you insane. Now that virtual learning is over, you have exactly zero activities to keep your kids busy and out of your aforementioned dirty hair. And it's hot outside. Summer camp has been canceled. The community pool is only allowing eight people in at a time. And you can't even send your kids to their grandparents' house. Maybe you've been relying on your nightly glass or three of wine every night to help you mellow out a little indulgent me time. You might even be becoming increasingly less comfortable with how you're feeling and how strongly that bottle begins to pull you each day. I get it. I really do. I used to drink too much, too. I've seen all of the jokes and memes that have run rampant online during the COVID-19 crisis. Moms wondering when it's time to switch from coffee to wine each day. Cocktails with new cute names to reflect our current situation, like quarantinis. From every angle, moms are getting permission to drink during this time, and to drink a lot. I mean, there's nothing else to do, is there? Maybe you've discovered ranch water because a glowy Instagram influencer introduced it to you as she sips her beverage and records a story from her perfectly styled and sponsored back porch while the glorious sunset lights her expertly highlighted and contoured face. If you're lucky, she lets you in on the secret of her new favorite loungewear and that she sized up to an extra, extra small petite, you know, for a more slouchy fit. Everything she does just looks glamorous, especially her refreshing hipster cocktail. My point is that had I not made the decision to quit drinking about nine years ago, I'd be right there with you, sister. I'd also be influenced by the glowy Instagrammers mixing up refreshing-looking cocktails, and I'd be grateful to see other moms enjoying wine every day. The difference, though, is that there's a distinction between one drink every so often and several drinks every day. If ever there was a time in history to drink a lot, this feels like the right time, does it not? Everything is so uncertain now. Our health hangs in the balance. Our jobs feel insecure. I mean, we don't even know when or if school will go back to normal in the fall. People drink during times of trouble. It's one way that we cope. Adding to the stress of what our future might look like during this pandemic is the boredom of staying home and being isolated from friends and family. It's no wonder moms are turning to booze to self-medicate. I realize that might come off as judgy when I, write, when I write about how I quit drinking and how it worries me when I see other women drinking heavily, but the fact of the matter is that there are other ways to handle stress during even the most difficult times. Before I quit drinking, all I needed was for another mom to say to me, you don't have to do this. So I'm here telling you now, you don't have to do this. Maybe you're moderating your alcohol just fine. You're not overindulging, but only drinking enough to take the edge off the occasional long day. If so, this post isn't for you, so go make a beautiful ranch water and enjoy the sunset. Or better yet, put the kids to bed, grab a drink, get on a Zoom call with your friends, and laugh a lot. However, if you're having even the smallest whisper of doubt about your drinking in the far reaches of your brain, take it seriously. Give that voice a little life. Give it your attention. 
Try life without alcohol, even if just for a little while, and see what happens. If it feels bigger than you and more than you can handle alone, seek help. There are so many people out there willing to help. And trust me, there's a whole world on the other side of the bottle. What I Learned About My Kids from a Game of Uno by Maria Curry, originally published in January 2021. We recently found ourselves teaching the game of Uno to our kids. I randomly pulled the game out after dinner and thought it would be an innocent game of kids throwing incorrect cards toward a pile on the table. What I found instead was that Uno works like a little kid personality test. I didn't go looking for this moment of revelation about my children, but I walked away from that table with an unexpected understanding of their personalities. The first round was them learning what this game was all about. They're taking it in, and at this point, it seems like the hardest part is having them hold their cards up in their tiny hands. Looking around, I notice that my oldest is feeling more confident, and she starts playing as many draw two cards as she can. Oh, she's competitive. The round goes on, and the second oldest, Sophie, just laughs anytime she has to draw cards. She laughs at being skipped. She laughs at not being able to hold all of her cards. Each person's stack of cards grows and shrinks, and we start getting to the part where we explain the whole yelling Uno thing when you're down to your last card. The oldest, Zara, took this as a challenge. She realized she could stop someone from winning and would carefully watch everyone's dwindling cards. My husband won the first round because apparently we're the kind of parents that don't let their kids win at board games. Insert some lesson about real life and not getting handed to you here. Everyone settled in and was ready for a battle on the next round, except for Sophie, because she could care less. She has zero competition in her. She's our peacemaker and harmony child. Not something I expected, knowing how she plays with her younger brother, but it was also not so surprising. The game goes on, and Zara starts accumulating wild cards and has even begun strategizing. Her competitive side is only getting better at being competitive. Part of me is saying, yeah, that's my girl, and the other part of me is slightly terrified. She had zero awareness for how others were feeling and completely focused on winning this game. She was pretty intense. Our third child, Ben, is very sensitive. He feels everything in a big way, which makes me think he would shy away from competitive things. He struggled to hold his cards in a way where he could see them and he would get frustrated with it, but he stuck with it. He would look up with big sad eyes every time he would have to draw two cards or skip a turn. I kept expecting him to just set his cards down and walk away. Typically, his emotions get the best of him, and we have to help him talk through it. We get to the end of the game, and Sophie, the one who didn't care about winning at all, ends up winning the game. Ben bursts into tears. He was holding in these big emotions, because while he's super sensitive, it turns out that competition will drive him. There have been very few times, if any, where they have had the opportunity to be competitive in that way. It turns out competition can really bring out a different side of your kids. While it was 100% them, it was their personality heightened in a way that allowed me to see how they would respond in certain scenarios. For Ben, I now know he may need a lot of emotional support along the way as we get to the age where he's in competitive sports. He cares a lot about things, and offering him a different perspective may help him process better. Zara will be a force to be reckoned with in whatever she decides she is competing in, so being outward focused is going to be her challenge. Sophie would rather be picking daisies, and I don't blame her but there may be many times where she needs help finding motivation. All of this from a game of Uno on an ordinary Tuesday night. What things have you learned about your kids in unexpected ways? Thanks for spending part of your day with us. 
This was just one more bite from Alamo City Moms. For links, information, show notes, the original post, or just to say hi, visit alamocitymoms.com slash podcast. Till next time.